0: So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to continue on in our, oh yeah, one other announcement. I think we're going to try to have nachos tonight. So there you go. Come on, guys. Nachos. Just to throw that in there, right? One other piece of family news. We'll try to get the good kind of cheese, not the bad. Um, okay, if you, have, if you have a Bible, open it to Philippians chapter 2. We're in a series called Gratitude Always, and we're in Philippians, and we are moving into chapter 2 this week. Uh, so we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 11. I'll put them up on the screen if you don't have a Bible, um, and uh, we'll jump right in. So Philippians two one says this, so... So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So when I was a kid, I read a lot of Dr. Seuss. And my favorite Dr. Seuss book was this. It's called The Sneetches, right there. Last service, I had my slides mixed up, and that came up instead of the Bible verse, and it was a bit distracting. Um, (laughs) The Sneetches, how many of you have ever heard the story of the Sneetches? Raise your hand. All right, well, we're going to read the whole book. No, I'm just kidding. Um, But this is a great book, and there's other stories. And by the way, I will say this. One of them, my kids are crazy about it right now, is called Too Many Daves, and it's about a lady who has 23 kids, and she names them all Dave, and it's confusing. If you know Pastor Dave, there is no such thing. That's too many days. That's what I say. Um, so, the Sneeches is a story about these animals, creature type things that would probably look terrifying in real life, and they're called the Sneeches. And there are two kinds of Sneeches that live on the beaches there are Sneeches who have uh, bellies with stars, and Sneeches with none upon thars, I think is what, is what they say. Uh, these are the two. And the ones with bellies with stars look down upon the ones that have none upon theirs. As they walk on the beaches, they judge them, they look down upon them, and they make them feel very bad about themselves. And it says they kept them away, never let them come near, and that's how they treated them year after year. It's a really sad story. They have hot dog roasts on the beach, they roast marshmallows, and they exclude the plain belly sneetches from all of the fun because they don't have stars on their bellies. So ridiculous. And so this man shows up and he has a machine and the machine puts stars on your belly. And so he takes all their money and he makes the plain belly sneetches star bellied. And then the star belly sneetches get mad and he invents another machine. This guy's brilliant. That takes stars off of bellies and he takes the stars off their bellies, and then it all goes crazy and gets kind of mixed up, and in the end, they don't know who's what, because apparently they don't have memory, and they are all the same, and all we know is at the end, the guy drives out of town with everyone's money, and they're all sad, and at the end of the story, they realize we're really not that different after all, and the plain belly sneeches and the snar belly sneeches are friends. When I read this story as a kid, I remember thinking, it's pretty simple. Why don't people get along? It's stupid, it's foolish. And as I'm reading this story to my kids now, a lot, there's kind of the same kind of thing. You read it as an adult and you go, yeah, why is it really more complicated than this? There's something about standing on the outside of conflict when it's going on that it seems so simple, right? It's like, what's the big deal? You're the same. Why are you fighting? Why is it going that way? In fact, that's the nature of standing on the outside of something, is to think that it's simple, right? Uh, This happens in in nations. For all the wars that our country fought, what is the bloodiest war that we fought was the war that we fought with ourselves, the Civil War. And, And we would say that there was so much to that conflict, so much that would lead to that, that was complicated. And yet, isn't it true that when we look at the civil wars that take place in other countries, we often think, why are these people fighting amongst themselves? Why can't they just get along? Why can't they see past these differences? The very nature of being on the outside is thinking that it's simple, That there's a simple solution to the problem of conflict and disagreement, why people don't get along. And if they would just see it as clearly as we see it on the outside, then they would just be fine. It's not just like this in conflict with countries and with groups of people. It's like this if you've ever looked at a marriage or looked at the idea of marriage and gone, it's simple. Why are these people making it so complicated? If only they just did this. If you think that about marriage, you're standing on the outside of marriage if you think it's simple, right? If you've ever looked at people who are parenting and you think, it's not that hard, just don't do this, just don't give them this, just don't act this way, then you don't know what it's like to be a parent because you think it's way sim- more simple than it actually is once you get into it, once you get in the middle of it. I remember I, remember I used to, like, judge parents all the time before we had kids, we'd, like, leave their house and then would be like, what are they doing? Like, those kids are running that place, right? I'm never gonna let that happen, right? I remember saying, uh, you know, Ellie, I remember talking, I I I think that we shouldn't have a TV when we have kids. I was like, I just feel like, that, I just feel like that's not going to be a good idea, you know? As if I had a choice in the matter at all, right? As if I had, a, and I'm not saying she was the one that chose. I'm like, I'm like, life chose for me. Now, if you don't have a TV and you're like, Ed, you're a weak, terrible parent, then fine, you can judge me, right? But when we stand on the outside of these things on friendships and relationships that are broken, on groups of people that are characterized by strife and disunity and division, on entire people groups that don't like one another, on relationships and, and, and complicated situations, when we stand on the outside, it always looks this simple. But it isn't. It's never this simple. Here in Philippians 2, Paul is talking to the church that he loves about Unity. And he is doing this exact thing. He's saying, guys, it's easy. I'll make it easy for you. It's this simple. But he's actually right. Because he knows some things. Because he's a follower of Jesus. And Jesus had the ability to do this very thing as well. He stood there and he looked in and he said, guys, it's this simple. If you only could do this you would not experience the things that you're experiencing right now. Last week, we talked about life itself. What is life? And Paul says to live, to truly live is Christ. And anything else is not life, it's death. And we realize that it's suffering because suffering has the ability to take away all those other things other than Christ. And so, uh, if you want to be somebody who's resilient in all situations, grateful always, then live Christ. Christ. Because if you live for anything else, you will not be able to weather these things like Paul talks about. And if you live Christ, you will be completely fulfilled, you can be joyful, you can be grateful always, you can be overwhelmed with peace, regardless of the circumstances of your life or what's going on. Last week, Paul talked to the church about what life is. Now he's talking to them about how to go about doing it, how to go about living that life in a way that according to him is so very simple, and it will lead to them being Unified, having unity, being close, like a community is supposed to be. This is what he says. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Life, the rules of life are pretty straightforward. They're very basic. They're very simple. Here is the number one rule of life. I care more than anything else about me. And you care more than anything else about you. And if we can all agree to live that way, it's probably the best that we're going to do. So my world will revolve around me, the things I want, the things I need, the things that bring me pleasure, and the way that I live my life will be a reflection of that. I'll take care of myself, but all the things that I do, ultimately I do because of what they bring me and what they do for me. You're the most important thing in the world to you my job is about not my my what I'm on is my job is not really about bettering humanity or or providing something to the world and the workforce that makes us a better society or changes the world or makes things different i do what i do because it fulfills me i do what i do because it brings me joy and i'm good at it and it makes me happy i do what i do because i've determined this is the best possible way that i could have a good life i do what i do because it brings me money so I can live and I can be happy because really the most important thing to me is that, me and my ultimate happiness and my fulfillment. Even my friends, my friends are not there because when I wake up every morning, I go, whose life can I make better today? My friends are there because when I wake up in the morning, I go, who do I want to be around? Who makes me happiest? Who makes me feel the most known? Who makes me feel safe? Who makes me feel loved and appreciated? Who gets me? Who's the community that I most want to be around? My spouse, my kids, my family. All of these things. I want these things. I want these things for what they bring me. One of the biggest bait and switches of kids is you want them. Like you, you say, I want them. It'll make my life better to have kids. And then you have kids and then your life gets harder. And you go, wait a second. I wanted this. I wanted to not be about myself anymore. What's the deal with that? How did I not see that coming fully, right? One of my favorite things to do before Ellie and a got married, I have all these aunts. I have a lot of aunts, and these aunts had a lot of opinions about marriage. You know, a lot of opinions about marriage. How hard it is, what happens. You know, you gotta, gotta, you know, you gotta take it seriously. You gotta be, And like, it drove them crazy because the, the months before we were getting married, I would just say whenever it would come up, like, because they were, you know, just, it's gonna be tough, it's gonna be, hard, it's gonna be hard. It's gonna be hard, it's gonna be tough. Marriage is not easy. It's no picnic. It's no walk in the park, right? It's not good or fun at all. would get that extreme. And and I would just be like even if they're having crazy I'd be like, "Oh, I think I seriously feel like it's going to be a party the whole time. I feel like Ellie's my best friend. It's never going to be hard. I just I feel like that's how it's going to be." And I really I'm excited about it. And they would go crazy because they're like, "No, no, no. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. You're not getting it. You're not getting it. You're not getting it." Right? It's hard. These things are hard. Yes, they're hard. Right? Relationships are hard. Families hard. Kids are hard. Marriage is hard. But we want it. We want these things. Why do we want them? Because we want life to look a certain way. We want it to be a certain way. And you know this the moment you have a hard time finding any of these things. And we're willing to do very hard things, endure very difficult things. Even faith itself. I want faith. It makes my life better. I want it for what it brings to me and what it does for me and how it helps me in this pursuit of myself. This is the rules. This is the rule that we live by, that we agree to live by. And there's a trade-off. I'm going to be all about myself, so I will take care of myself. You don't have to take care of me. I will take care of me. You take care of you. One of the scariest, hardest things about getting older, about losing the ability to physically be independent, is the need to depend on people because you can't physically depend on yourself anymore for everything. And the fear that often comes with that and the insecurity that comes with that it comes for right reason. Because we spent our whole life up to that point going, okay, I'll take care of me, I'll be independent, I'll be fine. And for many of us there is nothing scarier than being dependent. Why? Because this is the single rule that we all have agreed to live by. I'm gonna worry about me, I'm gonna provide for me, I'm gonna work for me. And we'll just see how it all lands. And some people have more money than others. Some people have a better start than others. Some people have more support than others. Some people will be smarter than others and be more capable physically than others and and, and, and in other ways. But we're all just going to go for it ourselves. And what Paul says is this. Paul says, live differently from this. He says that one rule, the one rule that governs the way that you see yourself and interact with every single person in your entire world, don't follow that rule anymore. Live by another rule. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, consider others more significant than yourselves. Don't put yourself first, don't be about you. Can you even imagine if this was actually the way the world worked? Could you even imagine if we actually cared more for other people than ourselves? I'm not talking about did nice things occasionally for other people. I'm saying if our lives weren't about the pursuit of ourselves and our ambitions. If we lived that way, we would not have the problems that we have. And Jesus knew this, and Paul knows this, and so he tells the church that matters more to him than any other church He says, live this way. Break the rule that everyone else is willing to live by and be be slaves to. There's that phrase, all the things I ever needed to know I learned in kindergarten. That's a a lot of how it feels to interact with the teachings of Jesus or even the things that, that we read about in the Bible. These are not brand new ideas. We learned them when we were young. But we also learned not to do them as we grew up. We learn that no one can really live this way. No one can really do this. And so while it's a nice rule or a nice thing to talk about or teach little kids, we're also going to realize that, like, in the end, guys, you got to look out for yourself. You got to be the best and you got to do the best because ultimately, that's ultimately what it's all going to rely upon, what you do. Paul says to do nothing out of selfish ambition. If I don't put myself first, no one will. I worry about me, you worry about you. Ambition is this. Ambition is a picture of myself in the future. It's a picture of things in the future that we're going to strive for, that I'm going to strive for. And he says, do nothing out of that. Don't think about the future you, the future your life, the future your agenda, the things you want to accomplish, the way you want things to look. Don't make decisions and live your life based on reaching that, but instead have other ambitions, not selfish ambitions. Now, this is very un-American, it feels to us, because we are a group of people who are rooted in the idea of life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness, right? We have life, we have liberty, which is freedom and independence, and we have the liberty to do what? The pursuit of happiness. Happiness. Does anyone take that as I have life and liberty for the pursuit of your happiness? No, we do not take it that way. And so this feels almost like Jesus is some bully on the playground who's taken away our lunch money, right? Someone gave us something. We have it. We have these rights. We have these abilities. We want to go use them. We want to go live them out. And now Paul comes along and he says, no, don't do that. Don't live that way. Don't pursue happiness for yourself, your own ambition, your own selfish ambition. There's a movie that's come out recently called First Man story about uh, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin are mostly about Neil Armstrong and, and going to the moon, landing on the moon, walking on the moon. And it's made by this filmmaker, Damien Chazelle. And this guy makes these amazing movies. He made a movie called Whiplash, and he made La La Land, if you saw that, right? If you like that stuff. He, he saw he made La La Land, and, and he made this movie. And he makes these movies about people who are driven to do great things and, the, and, and their willingness to pursue those things no matter what it costs. And what I love about the the movies this guy makes is that in the movies, it comes at great cost. People lose things. They give up things. They have to choose to let go of things. Sometimes it's relationships. Sometimes it's other things that their heart seems to be pulling them to want to do. As much as we like to believe that if you follow your selfish ambitions, then in the end, you'll be able to meet and achieve all of them. We know that's not really the way it works. And it is true that the people who have accomplished some of the things that we admire most as great things have done so at the cost of lots of other things. They've given up on other things. They've let go of other things. Sometimes that hasn't been a good thing. This is what ambition has. It has a cost. There's a cost to ambition. There's a cost to wanting to achieve something. You see, we were originally created and intended to live forever And ever since sin and the fall, we have been trying to find a way to feel like we can still live forever. We have been dying, wanting to fill our lives up with things that can make us seem significant now. And so the idea of living without selfish ambition seems completely empty. It seems like an empty life. And isn't that exactly what the fall would lead to? God creates us to glorify him, to be about him, to find satisfaction in life in him. And the moment that we decide that's not enough, we are now filled with an overwhelming sense of emptiness. And we have to fill it with something. And so comes ambition. Achieving things, becoming a better version of ourselves, doing things that are better than ourselves. We, we, we live this out ourselves. We teach this to, our, to, our, to people that are younger than us and people around us and people who want to learn from us about how to live life. And inherent to this selfish ambition, this, this phrase can also be translated as rivalry. This selfish ambition is rivalry. Because it is, by nature, competitive. As much as we would like to believe, those of us who who have our sights set on the things that we want to do and the people that we want to be and the life that we want to have, right? As much as we want to think, oh, this is just me and the stuff I want to do. This doesn't have to do with you. I'm not trying to bring anybody else down. I'm not trying to, you know, beat anybody else up. I'm not trying to win out at the cost of somebody else. The nature of selfish ambition is rivalry. The nature of it is competition. Because that's what it is. It's not just being good. It's being better. It's not just being good, it's being the best. It's not just doing a job, it's being better at the job. It's being more successful at the job. It's being promoted at the job and advancing at the job. It's knowing at the end of the day that you did a better job than most people around you. I talk about families, you know, up till this point a lot. And, and it's true even in that area, right? You invest so much time and effort into a marriage, into a relationship, into a family. And, and how disappointing is it if you ever get to a point where you feel like you're just a normal family? That you're not as exceptional as you thought you were going to be. Because that's kind of the one thing that you hung on to. Okay, fine, it's going to take me all this. It's going to be a lot of work. It's going to be a lot of self-sacrifice. But in the end... Oh, man, it's going to be good. We're going to be good. It's going to be so great. People are going to look at our family. They're going to look at me. They're going to look at my marriage. They're going to look at who I am. They're going to look at the things I do. And they're going to be really, they're going to say, that's, you, you're good. You rose to the top. You rose to the top. Because the nature of this ambition is, it is competition. It is getting ahead of the rest of the pack and knowing that now we can feel distinguished. We're not just lumped in with anyone else. The ambition is a race mentality. Life is a race. And in the end, there is going to be some kind of a score we believe. And if we don't get what we want, or if someone else gets something that we want, we are filled with one of the most toxic and destructive things that the human heart can ever have. Envy. Oh, envy. Jealousy. Sometimes it's because things aren't going well for us. Other times it's because they're simply going well for other people. And we want that thing. Have you ever been in a situation where someone you didn't like got something and you were envious? That makes sense to me. What doesn't make sense is what seems to happen just as often. Someone that you really like, someone that you even love or care about, does well, gets something, and you feel envious and you feel jealous. Why do we feel that? Because of the competition, because of ambition. Now, the ironic thing is that even though this is the rule that we all live by and that we follow, we hate nothing more than people who don't show humility. We hate nothing more than people that pursue something just sort of arrogantly and flagrantly without even pretending to be humble or self-effacing. We, we think it's the worst. There's nothing worse than that. And so what we do is we become very, very, very good at being just the right kind of humble right? Just humble enough that you know what I do, that I know what I do, that people know what I do, but, but not so humble that no one knows, because that would be too humble, right? I'm sure God wants people to know who I am and how I live and what I do. I'm sure God wants people to know about my successes in life. I'm sure God wants people to know about those things. I'm sure people need to know about those things. They should know about those things. And we begin, we're very good, we're so very good at knowing just the right way to show humility, right? Show selflessness, show that we want to be there for other people and cheer people on and things like that, and yet still be seen and be known and be recognized for what it is that we do. The truth is the truly humble people we, we don't see, right? We don't, we don't think about much of the time because true humility often puts you out of someone's eyesight, out of someone's view. And that's very hard for us. This is a really, the church in Philippi is a wonderful church. Paul loves this church. He thinks they are like the best church. And this great, amazing, healthy, strong, unified church he is telling them. This is his piece of advice for them. He's like, if you, if you have any comfort from Christ, if you have any sense of like the benefit that comes from being a Christian and being together, then here's what I want for you. I want you to not be selfishly ambitious. Why would he tell the strongest church that? Because it's such a danger for all of us. It is so hard for all of us. We're all addicted to it. And so even the ones that are doing the best, even the ones that are growing the most, even the ones that are the most unified already, Paul's like, look out for this. It's probably because in part they were doing so well that he thought, don't get prideful, be humble, be about the other people, don't be about yourself. He says, selfish ambition is wrong, but he also says to not do anything out of conceit. And conceit is, Is a very interesting thing. Conceit, to be conceited, it is empty pride. It is false pride. To be conceited is to think something about yourself that isn't true, to say things about yourself that aren't true. So what Paul says to them is, don't do things out of a high opinion of yourself. Think about this for a second. How popular is this idea? Don't think so highly of yourself. You should think less. Is that a very popular idea? Is that our solution to most problems when people are beaten down on life and tired and feeling inadequate and feeling discouraged, feeling insecure, feeling fearful? Is our response to them that? No, our response is to think highly of yourself. You should think better of yourself. You should think more of yourself. You're better than this. You can do more than this. You don't need to be insecure. You're amazing. As Ellie and I have talked about this, every step of life, every season of life, everything that we've been through, whether it's in a job, whether it's in relationships or in family, when we were struggling, the advice given was usually one form or another of how great you are. Now, that might be because we really are great. Better than everyone else. And I I guess I didn't consider that, and that's probably what it is. But I don't think that there's a lot of therapists out there who wouldn't say, see yourself more highly. Raise your self-esteem. Feel better about yourself. And yet, this word here by Paul is to not do things out of a high view of ourselves. Not to do things out of being conceited, which he says is a false, overinflated sense of pride. It's not real. You're proud of something that's not there. Even the idea of, I mean, we, 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 we give this advice so much, we want this for each other so much. Even in the church, we say to people, you know, come to, come to hear this because you will see in this how great you are, and that God wants to unleash and unlock in you a desire to be better than you are and to do more than you ever thought that you could do in his name, but still, whatever you thought that you could do. And you will be great, and you will be amazing. And all the hindrances will be thrown off, and you will be awesome. And your life will be better. Because that's what God wants for you. And that's what the gospel has for you. Who wouldn't want that? But that's not true because Christianity and the gospel they draw a huge distinction between you're great and you're loved. What the gospel says is the gospel says, the the gospel is God saying, I'm great and you're loved by me. And what that makes you is valuable. I'm great, you're loved, you're valuable. It's all rooted in who God is. God's great. He creates us. Life is in Him. And so, life isn't about how great we are and all the things that we can do. That's a futile attempt. We'll never win that. It's illusion. It's not real. It's pathetic, really. God says, I am great And I love you so much as my child that you are so valuable because of that thing. And so what is the answer to the fear and the insecurity and the anxiety and the feelings of what am I here for? What am I doing? And what was this year of my life even about? And what's the next 10 years of my life even gonna be about? And I invested in this relationship and look where it went. And I invested in, in this family and look where it's gone. And I've invested in this career and look where I am now. The answer is... Who is the great one? It is God. Why shouldn't you fear? Because of how great God is. Why shouldn't you be insecure? Because of how great God is. And what does that have to say about you? It says that he loves you. Well, I can't. Well, that's not fair because that means I can't be anything great on my own. I know. It stinks. You got to be connected to him in order to have value, in order to have that, in order to have that, those things. And so Paul says, don't don't do things out of ambition, even though that's what we all do. Don't do things out of conceit, this unrealistic view of how high you are. But he says this, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So the rule is simple. Live and act for the needs of others, for the, 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 the desire that you have to see others lifted up beyond yourself to have the same such of urgency and weightiness and priority given to others that you would want to give to yourself. To listen instead of talking. To be patient and long-suffering. To not always have to win and not always have to be right. To say, I'm going to devote the same amount of passion and creativity to you doing well that I want to devote to me doing well. Now, what this is, is it's a mindset, because what he says is this, he says, being in full accord and of one mind, he's saying to be of one mind, because this is hard, and if what this was, was we go out now and we try to live a certain way, we try to live differently because of this thing, let's all try as hard as we can to be nicer and more selfless and not try to be, you know, prideful and arrogant and all these different things, that won't work, that will exhaust us, that will wear us down and it could end in just legalism and religion. No, what what we're supposed to do, he says, is this is like a whole new mindset. This is a whole new way of seeing the world. It's a whole new way of seeing ourselves. It's a whole new way of seeing everything. This is a mindset that if we all share, will be absolutely incredible. If we can be one of this same mindset. And then he gives the example of what that mindset looks like. This mindset is I'm not actually more important than you. Right there, I'm not actually more important than you. To think that, to think, no, 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 no. God's looking at me and he's going, it's okay. Your job is to care about you and their job is to care about them and and I'll figure out everything else. No, your job is to care about them. And their job is to care about you. And maybe don't focus so much on them caring about you and telling them that they have to all the time, but focus on caring for them. That's the mindset that has to change. That says, I'm gonna to look to you as if you're more significant, the needs that you have are more pressing and urgent and significant than the ones that I have. Even though I tend to live a lot of my life inside of my own world, I'm gonna to try to step out of it and see yours. If to live is Christ, and the way to be successful in life is to live in such a way that you are for others and not yourself, then that means that we ought to be overwhelmed with these two priorities all the time. If life is Christ, and we want for others to do well, then what does that mean? Is that we want for others to have Christ. Is that when you become a follower of Jesus, the answer of what's next is this how do you bring Jesus to others? Everybody. How do you bring him to the undisciplined? How do you bring him to the lost? I mean, do you realize that one of the reasons why so few people are Christians in America now is because the Christians that are here have largely decided, God wants me to worry about me. God wants me to be focused on me. God wants to make sure that I'm the purest, holiest, most spiritually upright person that I can be. They'll, you know... And the result is that there are missionaries now coming to America to reach people in America with the gospel. This would fix things. This is the simple solution that you look at from the outside that actually makes sense of what's going on. And what that means for the church, because Paul's talking to the church and he's talking to them about unity is what it means for the church is it means this then is a group of people who are not here for themselves and who are not here because of what they can get out of being here. We're not here because of what it brings us. We're not here because it's a reflection of what we want and what we like and what we're comfortable with and what makes us happy. We're here because we believe that together here we can be about others. We're here because as we gather together in unity and we worship God, it helps us change and focus outward because that's hard. It's a hard thing to do. It helps us get used to letting go of ourselves and thinking about others, which is not in our nature, and it is not something that we want to do. To want for our brother to do well more than us, to want for the lost to be reached, And we go, but really, though, objectively speaking, that does make life not about me anymore. And if life has been about me, and now it's not, how in the world does that mean that I'm worth much of anything? That I'm not just some ant in an anthill, that I'm not just some cog in a machine, that there is really any significance, because all my significance is tied up in these things that I'm supposed to let go of. And Paul's example is this. Be like Jesus. He had this mindset. And here's what he did God came to earth in the flesh. What would that look like in a movie today? It would not look like Jesus, it would look like the movie Thor. God coming to earth in the flesh would look like that. People would be dressing up in costumes and wanting to be them and pretending to be them because of all the awesome stuff they can do. It would completely blow our minds to see God come in the flesh and just be awesome. But he says, that's not what Jesus did. Jesus came in the flesh, and what did he do? He had this mindset. And so everything he did was for those he came to serve. He he let go of everything, even to the point of being on the cross and saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The lowest point of his life, because Jesus didn't draw life from his friends, and he didn't draw life from food, and he didn't draw life from being on the earth. He drew life from God. And he gave that up on the cross. He experienced the letting go of everything. And what Paul says is, Jesus is the best example of all of this. Who's gonna say Jesus is insignificant? Who's gonna say Jesus didn't matter to God and doesn't matter to God? Who's gonna say that Jesus really could have done better? We can't say that. And what he's saying is this, your value isn't wrapped up in you being first in your life. So I can put you first and I'm still okay. I'm still valuable. My value isn't wrapped up in that. It doesn't make me less to put you first. So I can focus everything on doing that and stop worrying about myself and know that because of what I see and how Jesus lived, that that means that I can still be valuable and I can still be significant. And that God says, I love you, you're my child. I'm great, and that's what your value is in. Is in the fact that I love you. Do we do it because by serving other people, that means that we earn points with God and we become better? No. But still... We hear about this, we read this, and we go, but it still feels like a burden. Like you're saying, I have, to, I have to give up the number one rule that we all agree to live by. How, again, is that what Jesus talks about when he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light? How does it feel that way? Well, if we believe that the things that Jesus shows us are freedom, and if we believe that the things Paul tells this church that he loves will ultimately lead to freedom rather than a burden, then what does that mean? It means that the letting go of ourself means freedom. Could you even imagine what it would be like if you didn't have to spend all of your time worried about yourself? That that might actually be freeing? Imagine you had like a big pickup truck and you loaded all the stuff that you owned into the back of that truck. Justin and Megan are like, this isn't hard. We put in a trailer. But imagine you put it in the back of a truck, not a trailer, okay, for the purpose of this amazing illustration. You fill up the back of a truck. I mean, it's overloading with all overflowing with all your stuff. And you don't even have a lot of ropes or anything to tie it down with. So you just pile it up and you go to the next place. And as you're driving, every bump you hit, everything you see, you're distracted. You're freaked out. You're worried. You're looking in all your mirrors. You're driving slow. You're being careful. You can't mess anything up. You can't hit a pothole or anything else. because Everyone's backed up behind you because you got all your stuff there, you just gotta make sure you gotta focus on it, you gotta make sure you don't lose any of it, don't mess any of it, it is exhausting. Now imagine that someone just comes, they take all that stuff away, they say, don't worry, I'll take it for you, don't worry about it, you can just drive. How freeing that would be. This is what it is to let go of ourselves. To be able to not actually be obsessed with ourselves. Being obsessed with ourselves is an addiction, and like any addiction, it promises something that it doesn't deliver. It promises us that we'll be fulfilled, but in a world full of people who are living for themselves, how happy are we? How fulfilled are we? And how united are we? We're none of those things because this doesn't actually bring life and it doesn't bring freedom. And so when Jesus tells us to live the way that he lived and when Paul says, remember, look at Jesus and use his example and have his mindset, what Paul is telling the church is he's saying, you can be free if you do this. You won't be a slave. That's what's so exciting about it and that's what's so awesome. That what Paul has to say to his very church, his favorite church, is he has to say to them, I love you, I'm proud of you, you're great, you're doing great. They're doing so well that like when he calls the church out, he literally only has to call out individual people. It's like, it's like there's only a couple people that are a problem. I'm going to call them out by name. Everybody else, you're doing great, and you're awesome, right? Not, not, pretty, not typical, okay? But of this church that he holds so highly, he says to them, you guys have got to watch out for your self-interest, and you have got to be about others, each other. And if you can put the needs of one another first, then you'll be truly united. And all of the strife and all the conflict and all the disunity that you see around you that is just so crazy, the stuff that you yourself get embroiled in and you go, it's not that simple, it's not that easy. Paul is saying, it is that simple, it is that easy. Be like Christ, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, consider others as more significant than yourselves. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for the fact that you care about unity enough to tell us how to have it. God, that you are not satisfied with us living a lie and just taking what you can get from us, but you instead tell us through your word how we really are to see ourselves, how we really are to live, and that there's freedom in that. And it is difficult, God, we recognize that. And so we just confess to you that we, so many of us, are just living for ourselves, that we have put your name on our own ambitions and our own desires, that we have made these things that are about us. We've, we've, we've even characterized them as being about you sometimes, Lord. But God, we confess to you that so many of us have been about ourselves, Lord, and, and, and we recognize, Lord, that you call us to be, to be about others, God. God, I pray that we would have real freedom in knowing how great you are, that as we worship right now, And as we praise you, that there is nothing that we could get that would leave us better suited to do this thing that you call us to do than a high view of you and a confidence of you and seeing all of your glory and all of your greatness and saying, God is so good, God is so great that I just want him to get the glory. I want him to get the credit. And I want to pursue him for my life, not myself that we would see that that is truly more fulfilling than anything else that we can do, Lord. It's in your name that we pray, amen. Father, we we read in Galatians 5 that we are called to be free, but the very freedom that we have we're not to use to indulge in the flesh. Rather, we use that freedom to serve one another humbly in love. It is our prayer, God, that you would help us Be people who do this, Lord. God, there are many of us who are struggling right now with a brother, with a sister, either in the church or outside of the church, God, that there is strife and there is tension, Lord, that there is disunity. And we pray, God, that you would help us to see the needs of this other as more significant than our own, to want more for their good than even for our own good, God, and that we would do this not only because we know it brings about unity and it's the only thing that can, but because we love them and because we love you and because we know that we don't have to fight for ourselves or defend ourselves, Lord. God, it's in your name that we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week.